Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 176 of Selling the Couch. So today's session is part two of a conversation we started in the previous podcast session, which is all about starting a peer supervision groups and tips and strategies to think about. My guest is Jill Kaufman. Jill is a licensed clinical social worker in Princeton, New Jersey. Actually, we're about one hour from each other. And uh, Jill's practice is over at Princeton Counseling and Parenting Center.com. And in the first uh, part of this podcast session, in the previous episode, we talked a lot about the topic of a peer supervision group, what topics to cover. Is it better to be general versus a topic-based one? And then we talked about format. And then in this one, we're actually going to talk about an interesting idea of should you charge if you're going to do a peer supervision group? And what are the pros and cons of that? And then we're going to also talk about frequency of a peer supervision group. And and then as well as also whether there's any wisdom in making it an ongoing group versus time limited. And then finally, just in terms of actual where do you meet? Is it better to meet online? Is it better to meet in an office? Can you do something kind of in the middle? Again, this session is just a lot of information. So hope you got your pens ready, unless you're driving. And then at which point, uh, please only do that after you're done driving. But I also put together show notes for you guys. And you can find that over at signthecouch.com forward slash session dash 176. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, this is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and well, I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest. And honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share, uh, the STC audience with and Dave. When uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists. And his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that, and he comes from just a very hard-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. 
Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, it's absolutely free to download, and it's called The Seven Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here's my conversation with Jill Kaufman from Princeton Counseling and Parenting Center.com. Hey, Jill, welcome back to Selling the Couch. Thank you, Melvin. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, no, you're so welcome. So if you guys haven't heard the first part of this conversation, check out episode 175, the previous episode, where we're talking all about peer supervision group and groups and getting started with one. And in that part one of the, of the podcast, we talked all about the topics and the format of a peer supervision group. And in part two, in today's session, we're going to actually talk about pricing and frequency as we set up our peer supervision groups. So. Jill, we'll j- dive right in. Again, silly question. Do people charge for a peer supervision group? So it's not a silly question. I think that it's a valid thing to think about. I do not charge for my group. And one of the reasons that I don't is because I get so much out of it that I wouldn't feel right about charging. But I do provide a lot of the, the groups are at my house or at my office, and I do provide the food. So the people in my group have started offering their places as and also bring food. So in a way, you know, that's they themselves have taken it on to contribute because they do feel they're getting a lot out of it. But I do understand why somebody would charge because you are providing a location in a lot of cases. And then, you know, if you do provide any kind of food or drinks, it is something that you're providing plus the organizational time. I just feel like I'm getting just as much as out of it as everybody else. So it wouldn't be right. Yeah, no, and I think, I guess the, the question I was sort of asking, which you're hinting at is, you really have to figure out what sort of works for you. And, and it is, it's this question of value and whether you're getting out what you think is, has been helpful for you. I was telling this before, right before we started, I, I know the reason I asked that question is I know that sometimes charging well, a lot of times charging for something, you just have more level of investment in it, right? Right. And so you're going to show up if you're paying, you know, $100 a month or whatever it is, right? And so, I don't know, that was sort of where I was going, right? So then it might be, if it's like a free one, people might be like, oh, it's free. It's not like I can skip that one or cancel or whatever. Right. I do think that you run into that when you don't have the commitment up front, you know, and I think that's important when you meet initially, you kind of feel out people to say, is this something that's important to you? And if it isn't, then, you know, that's okay. They just have to be honest about it and, and upfront about it. And, and that then they wouldn't be appropriate for your group. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess, how do you gauge commitment at the onset. I mean, like, because I mean, we all do this, right? We can say one thing, we can do another. Right. Right. So is it just like gauging it at the beginning or is it more, you know, like, Hey, you know, if somebody's like, yeah, I love this. Okay. And then do you say, okay, well, why don't we do like a three month trial run and see how things are like, So I think it's like the stages of groups, you know, where at first it's like, you know, the storming stage where you're finding the identity and 
you know, you have to be comfortable with each other. And I think so in the beginning, you're kind of figuring that all out. And if you decide that this is what you want and somebody is not having the same commitment, you can have that discussion and say, well, maybe this isn't the right group for you. I don't know that, that you can make that decision right away. You have to kind of see who's coming and who's putting in the effort. Well, I think just in that, in the part one of our conversation, you said something which really got my mind jogging. I felt like because you had a lot of folks, peers from like a previous work environment, you got to know them as people and you got to know like sort of their work ethic, their personality. And I feel like that is really key, right? So yeah. having an established relationship with that person probably lessens some of these like commitment kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's not always possible. Like the people I got from my, where my office is, I didn't know them as well. And, but it, it just happened to be that they were also really committed to it. So, you know, I think if you get value out of something, you're going to be committed to it. So that's another piece of it. If, if it's really valuable to each of the members, they're going to, con- you know, be committed. Right. I imagine there's going to be like, life doesn't stop, right? Whenever. We're building like a peer supervision group. So I guess, do you guys have like any checks or anything like that? Like, for example, let's say that you know, I'm just kind of making up a scenario. Let's say someone's has like a health issue that's come up, right? And so is there any sort of like, and where they may have to take, take a pause from the peer supervision group because, you know, they may be needed to do chemo or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, do you guys do like any sort of like periodic checks? Is that, do you think something like that would be helpful? Yeah, that's happened actually. And it didn't happen for an extended period of time. It was several months, but we saved the spot for that person because mm-hmm. they came back. But, you know, if it was more than two or three months, you would, probably want to think about replacing that person, unfortunately, because you do want to have the right amount of people to, you know, have that continuity and and feedback. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you want to be, it's that fine balance of being fair to the person and wanting to be fair to the group. Exactly. Yeah. Just shifting a little bit. How often should a peer supervision group meet? (laughs) Okay. So, I said in the first episode that we had a weekly meeting where I worked, and that was really great. But it's a big commitment to have a weekly meeting, and I wasn't willing to do that on an ongoing basis, but I was willing to do a monthly meeting. So it's really what you have in your schedule, how much you want to commit to this. I know another therapist who runs a peer supervision group that meets twice a month. So, you know, it's variable about how much you want to put into this. I think there are advantages of weekly meetings, but I just wasn't willing to put that much time into it. How did you guys settle on like a month versus like a quarter? Well, I think quarter is not very often, you know, like you're really not going to get the same connection. And it's amazing how quick the month goes. Like we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's another meeting because monthly is just it's enough where you're really going to connect with each other and have the ability to really feel like it's enough. Whereas I think quarterly is, is really is not frequent and you're not going to get the same type of connections between the members. Hmm. Yeah. I guess these are all like things to think about. And plus even something like quarterly, especially if you're doing one where 
one person or two people present a case. I mean, it might be only like one time a year or something. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and and there's a benefit to that. I don't think that there, that you shouldn't do a quarterly peer supervision group. I mean, absolutely, if that's all you can do, do it. But it's definitely a different experience in the group. I know that uh, one of the other things that a lot of clinicians like struggle with is, okay, now this peer supervision group, this sounds like a wonderful idea. Do I keep it like ongoing or is this like time limited? So meaning that, you know, hey, this group of five, we're going to meet and we're going to keep meeting in this format and for this period of time, or is it more like, hey, we're going to meet for this calendar year, we're going to meet for two years, and then we're going to just all of us are going to reanalyze to see if it makes sense for us to carry in a, into the next season. Um, any tips, recommendations? Well, I don't know that you can make a commitment that long. You know, like what, who knows what we're going to be doing in a year or two years. Yeah. But some advantages for like a short-term group where you maybe meet, you know, four or five times about a specific thing and then you run through, like I know another therapist who's really looking to bring some trainings into this area and she's really trying to get a number of clinicians together just for that specific training. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be meeting for like a, a few months just to get the training and to go through that training. So, you know, if it's a specific goal that you have, then like a short-term group probably makes sense. But for what I'm talking about is more like a self-care, you know, peer supervision, case presentation group. That's you probably need for however long you have your private practice. No, absolutely. The last question I wanted to ask was online versus in-office. It sounds like what you've always done is in-office, yeah? Actually, except for the Facebook group that I run. That's ah, that's right. Online. Okay. I guess what have you... General experiences, good, bad, of both of those formats, ugly as well. <laughs> well, the Facebook group is a little bit frustrating because people don't check their Facebook very often. Yeah. So we get people interacting, and I've gotten one person got a, a job from my Facebook group. Mm. You know, there's been a ton of referrals, but I feel like you just don't get people's attention like you do when you're sitting, you know, face to face. Right. Or I guess you also, there's probably multiple things that are pulling at their attention. In a right. Exactly. Right. Okay. And then uh, I interrupted you. So you said the, it sounds like that's the disadvantage. And then whereas with the in-person group? Well, the in-person group, you can, you know, you have people's full attention for the amount of time that you're, that you have them and you just don't get as many people, you know, like with the Facebook group, we have, I have like 60 people who are local to Princeton in my Facebook group and in my, you know, person in-person group, it's only seven people. So yeah. it's a little bit limiting in that way. Yeah. But I guess the other side of that is like those seven people, who do they know? Right. Right. And who do they know? So it, it really is. It is seven people that I could also see is maybe like a couple hundred actually. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's very true. Yeah. I'm, I'm very like curious how even this format of peer supervision as technology evolves and, you know, especially as like HIPAA compliant video conferencing, this becomes the new norm, telemental health. I'm curious to see how this will really apply to peer supervision because I, I could see this really changing a lot of stuff, right? So you could be in the comfort of your office talking to somebody that also works with a similar population or a similar presenting concern. 
right? And they could be in a completely different city and you could get a great idea and this, you know, like some really cool stuff that could happen. Oh, I think online would be great for peer supervision and I just haven't done it myself. I know they're like, I know some things, but like, I know, for example, Zoom has a HIPAA compliant tier. I know that a lot of colleagues use VC. That's like a common one. Doxy.me. Doxy I've done. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not as familiar to be honest with VC and Doxy.me where I'm not sure if you can do like a group format. I believe you can. I think you can. I know regroup you can. They have a HIPAA compliant platform, but I've been looking into that actually because I do want to do that going forward. And maybe again, it's like a hybrid, right? Like we meet half the time online, half the time, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, technology is an amazing thing and offers a lot of flexibility. So absolutely. Jill, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like again, we probably just hit the tip of the iceberg. We should probably do at some point, we should maybe do like a, a live Q and A in the directory community on this topic. Cause I feel like a lot of people would have a lot of questions. Yeah. That would be great. Where can we learn more about you and the good work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, so my website would be the best, I think, and it's www.princetoncounselingandparentingcenter.com. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes, which again, for this episode, um, you guys can find all the resources that Jill mentioned, the tips um, over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the dash 176. Jill, thank you again for doing this. Thank you, Melvin. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jill. And especially if you've been thinking about yeah, starting a peer supervision group, um, I hope that today's session is just a wonderful source of encouragement for you. Jill mentioned a number of resources in terms of talking about pricing and frequency and the format. I've jotted all of those down in the show notes page, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash one seven six. One of the things that I'm exploring uh, doing and starting in the STC directory community is actually just creating a way for each of us to be able to set up our own peer consultation groups. And so if you're just not getting traction or just want to connect with like-minded helpers and healers in private practice and just need help getting your own peer supervision group together, you can check out sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get 
$200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for joining me. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.